You're listening to Plan Style Do, the wedding podcast. Hello and welcome to Plan Style Do. I'm your host, Jordan Weaver. I'm a wedding planner and stylist and founder of Jordan Weaver Events. Each week, I bring you bite-sized episodes and interviews with leading wedding industry experts to help take the stress and confusion out of planning your wedding. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Allegra Hartford-Davis. She's a marriage celebrant extraordinaire who you may know by her business name, Married by Allegra. Hey, Allegra, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Now, usually for podcast guests, I do a standard kind of intro, but I think it is safe to say there is nothing standard about you. So I thought we would mix it up a little bit. So how about we start by getting listeners acquainted with you? Now, you're a Sydney-based marriage celebrant and an MC who travels Mm -hmm. Far and wide in the name of love. Um, <laughs> you're also a former corporate lawyer turned marriage celebrant. Yeah. Now, yeah, I love a career change story. Can you tell me <laughs> how on earth did that shift come about? What drew you to become a marriage celebrant? Yeah, sure. So um, I think that anyone who is a lawyer or has knows anyone that's a lawyer knows that working in the law is a bit of a miserable job. Um, and so I was working for one of the big bad um, law firms in Sydney City, working crazy long hours and pretty much hating my life. Um, and then my brother and his wife got engaged and then they couldn't find a celebrant that they really um, bonded well with. And so they said to me, well, you'd be good at the course. So why don't you do it? And so I did. And then turns out I really like it and I'm quite good at it. So I decided to jump ship permanently and I became a full-time marriage celebrant and MC about a week before the coronavirus restrictions came into play at the beginning of 2020. (laughs) So I timed that perfectly. Well, it is no secret that you love a selfie. It's a little bit of oh, a tradition yeah. if anyone's been <laughs> on your on your Instagram. And yeah. it's something that you do with all of your couples. Um, yes. Can you tell me there's, there's meaning behind it though? It's not just a yeah. little cheeky selfie, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's not a vanity project. Um, the thing about the celebrant selfie that I take with all of my couples is that my real focus during a wedding ceremony is to make sure that I'm not actually the center of attention and the, you know, everyone's entire focus the whole time. And so what that means is one of the things that I do to avoid taking all the attention away from the couple is that I actually don't stand in between them for 85% of the time. So the photographers love me because I'm not in every single shot of the happy couple on the day. But what it also means is that I end up not really having that many photos with my couples and definitely not that many on the day that are, you know, professional photos that are available straight after the ceremony. So what I do is like you know, grab a quick selfie with the couple once I've married them. Um, and then that's how I sort of prove that I'm actually working. Um, and then make sure that that moment is, you know, immortalized because we do have that selfie together. Um, and the funny thing about it is that increasingly the, um, photographers will attempt to capture it from the other side. So it's like selfie inception. So I often will get back the professional photo album (laughs) and yeah, and it's got the photo of me taking the selfie with the couple. So yeah, it's a little bit more than just like, Oh, look at my pretty face and look at all my pretty couples. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a nice and it's a personal touch as well because you really pride yourself on getting to know your couples. It's more yes. than just a, you know, celebrant couple relationship. Isn't yes. It? Yes, I fall in love with them. It's a problem because then once they're married, I'm like, oh, okay, bye. You're the third wheel. <laughs> yeah, and then I have to leave them to their married life. I'm like, okay, but like call me if you want to hang out. We so, can hang out. <laughs> it's a bit weird, but it's funny because increasingly I'm the MC for my couple, so I don't have to leave right after the ceremony. And that gives me like a little bit more of an injection of my top up of love story before I have to abandon them forever. You can stretch it out for another couple of hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, well, anyone who has visited your website or if they check out your Instagram feed, there's a lot of colour, there's a lot of movement, mm-hmm. there's a lot of mm-hmm. fun. If you mm-hmm. had to describe to your couple, to couples, what they can expect from a married by Allegra ceremony, can you tell me yeah. how would you describe it in three words? Oh my God, in three words, that's so hard. Um, or so a, a few the, more. Um, the first big one for me is that it's going to be really meaningful. So I'm not one for, like, I'm just all about making sure that we are really representing the couple authentically and their love story and making sure that everything that we do during the ceremony is, you know, means something to the couple. Um, and so meaningful and really fun and funny, um, because it's my view that, like if you're a young, fun couple, then what your ceremony should reflect that and we can definitely have some fun. And then the third one, if you're constricting me to three, <laughs> would probably probably be really inclusive. So I really want a lot of active participation from the guests. I don't want anyone to be feeling like they're spectating at the wedding. Like it's not your job to just turn up and stand there looking pretty until the couple's married and then you can start partying. Like with a Mary Bailegra ceremony, the, my expectation is that the guests and the bridal, the wedding party and the family will all be involved in some way. So, you know, I get them involved in a variety of different ways, but it's very inclusive. And also I really work very hard on making sure my language um, is inclusive of all people. So yeah, I think inclusive is probably the word for it. Very good. Well done. Meaningful, mm-hmm. inclusive and fun. fun. Love it. Yes. Very absolutely. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I've mentioned that you're a former corporate lawyer. So mm-hmm. I've got you on the podcast. We're going to get some free legal advice. Um, oh, sort yeah. of, sort of, baby. <laughs> Um, can you tell me, let's talk the legal side of getting married. What do couples actually need from a legal standpoint in order to be married? Yeah, sure. Um, that's the legal, kind of legal advice I am. Um, I can happily give yep. you. Uh, okay. Just don't ask me anything about your lease or something. No, no, that. no. Not today. <laughs> we'll do that off air. Um, <laughs> so getting married in Australia um, is just, it's, it's sort of an easy process, but at the same time, there's some checkpoints that you have to make sure you meet. Um, and the first one is you have to submit your notice of intention to marry at least one month before your intended marriage date. And that has to be received by the celebrant 30 calendar days before your intended day. So say I want to get married on, you know, Christmas Eve, 24th of the 12th, then the celebrant must have the completed norm in their hot little hands by the 24th of November. Um, so... That's the critical point. Beyond that, your celebrant really should be self-sufficient. You've given them all of the information about, you know, you've essentially given them enough information to steal your identity because you've given them all your, you know, place and date of birth. You've proved your ID to them by providing your passport or or a birth certificate and a driver's license. Um, And you've also provided them some key information about your parents uh, and the benefit 
uh, well, not really the benefit, but the purpose of that is to, um, for the government record keeping, they can track back through births, deaths and marriages and find who your parents are and link all of your records together. So then your birth certificate is then linked in the system with your marriage certificate, blah, blah, blah. So then on the day you sign three, well, you sign four documents. The first one is the declaration of no legal impediment to marriage. So that's when you are declaring to the celebrant that you are over the age of 18 and not currently married um, because those are two, two things you um, definitely have to yeah, be when you kind of want important. to get married. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, and then you sign two boring official marriage documents that one the celebrant keeps and the other one goes to birth deaths and marriages and then you sign your um i personally think it's the ugliest piece of paper but the yellow commemorative <laughs> marriage certificate yeah um and so you sign that on the day and you get to keep that and if you are so inclined you would frame it and put it on the wall or you would just put it in a drawer like the majority of my couples do <laughs> yes i actually don't know where mine is but i know that I have yeah one. i'm not surprised <laughs> <laughs> I always laugh when my couples want to get that photo um, at the signing table where they're holding on to it and their witnesses are with them. I also like tease them. I'm like, what are you going to do with that photo? That is not going on a wall anywhere. So. <laughs> not framing not <laughs> I'm a bit one. judgy. <laughs> so, yeah, and beyond that, then your celebrant in the days after the um, ceremony, if you have a celebrant who knows how to work the internet, will likely um, register your marriage on the online portal of the birth, deaths and marriages in your state, if they have one. If not, that information gets posted to birth, deaths and marriages. Um, but yeah, after that, it's pretty much done and dusted. You are then married. Uh, you can then apply for your official marriage certificate through birth, deaths and marriages. And then you're stuck with that human, ideally for the rest of your life. Wonderful. And <laughs> tell me this because um, my husband's English and I know in mm. the UK you can only get married legally in certain places, so mm-hmm. places like churches and registered venues mm-hmm. and stuff. In, in Australia you can get married anywhere, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what people don't know is that um, celebrants, like civil celebrants, which is what I am. So there's two different types of celebrants in Australia, a civil marriage celebrant and a religious marriage celebrant. A religious marriage celebrant, independently of like a priest, is someone who's registered with the Attorney General's department as someone who um, is a conscientious objector to same-sex marriage. And so they don't have to um, marry same-sex couples and they have the ability to decline a couple on that basis. So there's actually only a very few of those, but the civil celebrants, religious marriage celebrants and priests can marry you anywhere. Um, And that means that if you have a church that you absolutely love, a civil marriage celebrant can actually marry you there as long as the priest says that it's okay um, and vice versa. So yeah, wherever, um, as long as it's on Australian territory, we can marry you in Australian waters, but as soon as you're in international waters, you have to be married by, um, the captain of a ship. Wow. That is trivia. I did not know. I'm full of random useless information. You are (laughs) very good. Well, let's talk wedding vows. So writing your wedding vows can be a pretty nerve wracking kind of thing. Most people are not used to publicly declaring their love so openly. Yep. So can you tell me what are your tips for a couple wanting to write their own vows? So I make my couples write their vows um, and I also make them write them separately and they don't read them to each other before the ceremony. I think that that adds something extra special in that moment um, to hear them for the first time when you're actually pledging your love to each other. Um, My go-to advice is to think about it like you are sitting down to write a really beautiful birthday card. 
So it's a weird way of thinking about it, but if you sort of structure it in the way that you would write a beautiful birthday card where you acknowledge how much you love them, you tell them what your wishes are for, well, in a birthday card, it's for their birthday, but when it's your vows, what your wishes are and your hopes are for your marriage. So uh, what I ask my couples to do as it relates to their vows, though, is to avoid making promises that are unrealistic. So I always think that if you're promising to love someone unconditionally for the rest of your life, I challenge my couples to think about whether that's something that's actually a realistic promise to make in that moment. Sure, you're extremely happy right now and terribly in love and you want to be with this person forever, but to love someone, it's not an unconditional love. It's conditional upon them being a good spouse to you and putting effort into your relationship and you know, for you to also make those commitments to them. So I ask them to think about the vows and the promises that they can make to maintain the strength of their relationship for the rest of their lives. So if your relationship is really heavily based upon watching movies together every Friday night, then you can make a promise to make the time to always invest in those activities that you and your partner enjoy together, rather than saying, you know, I'm going to be the best wife on the planet forever. You probably won't. You'll probably be a terrible wife at various points in your life, you know, depending on what is going on for you guys. So I, ask my couples to think about what makes them a strong and loving and, and you know um, supportive couple and then making vows to make sure that they'll invest energy and love and time into those things that make you guys good at being a couple great advice that's great and I love the the birthday card analogy because it is kind of overwhelming when you think about mm. writing these vows for the rest of mm. your life but when you think about it in terms of a birthday card it's a really cute way to take it take the pressure out and and make it less scary. And it's also such a weird thing. It's like, what I want you to do is sit down and think about how to tell all of the people you like in the whole world who you've invited to your wedding day, just how much, tell them just how much you love your partner um, and tell them exactly what you kind of relationship and marriage you're going to have for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's like, what that's not really that easy to do. Um, And everyone makes out like, oh yeah, just go write your vows. It's easy, but it's actually really hard. And so if you think about it in terms of writing a birthday card, well, that's kind of a bit more achievable because, you know, you've done that before. Um, And then when my couple send their vows to me, um, I check them and make sure that each person um, has written a similar length and has written in a similar tone. So if one of them's gone really funny and the other person's gone really serious, then I'll go back to each of them and say, why don't you think about maybe making yours a little bit more serious. And then the other person I'll say, why don't you slip a few jokes in there um, and then match it up. So it's a daunting task, but it's my job as well to guide you through that process. And I always, um, whenever I'm standing at the back of the ceremony, the ceremony is about to start Mm. and I'm the wedding planner or coordinator. And I I look Mm. at the celebrant and I think that they've got a really important part to play in calming Mm. nerves. So, you know, let's say all the guests are seated, the music's about to start. Um, Mm. How do you calm the nerves? Um, You know, traditionally it's the groom standing at the front. What what are your pieces of advice or your, your words of wisdom at that stage? So I don't think anyone could ever comfort you in a moment like that. I think that it's such a, a huge and personal and profound moment for individuals as as the love of their life walks down the aisle to them or or in non, more, a, a less traditional sort of setting as they stand there about to you know, have all those eyes on them to make that commitment to each other. I don't think there's anything you can say. What I do to be a support to my couples is that I 
divert the attention to myself a little bit in that moment. So I'll do a few housekeeping things so that not everyone is sitting there staring at the person at the altar who's like waiting for them, you know, for their lover to arrive, sort of distract the crowd a little bit. Um, And then I just gently tease the person who's waiting. You know, I'll say like, please stop, you know, just chill out. You'll be right. Like tease them a little bit so that they are as well, like a bit of a, a circuit breaker, a little bit of, you know, a um, pressure release then it's my job as your celebrant and like your mate and your third wheel to come up and like you know elbow you in the ribs a little bit and be like wait chill out you're fine yeah a bit of an icebreaker yeah exactly exactly now tell me one of the things I love about um, the ceremonies that you sort of post updates on on um, social media mm-hmm. is that you make everything really, really personal for that couple. Yes. Um, can you tell us recently I saw a story about a wedding that involved bananas. Can you talk us through that? <laughs> my banana couple. <laughs> um, yes. So when how I get to know my couples is I provide them with this questionnaire that's obnoxiously long. It's like 40 questions or something. And I know that every, every time someone looks at it for the first time they're like oh god this is gonna take me hours um but it's actually a really lovely time to reflect on your relationship and why you love each other and blah 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 um and so throughout that process I ask a variety of very strange questions that sometimes I think on the on the face of it people are like well why do you need to know about the time we stuffed something up or a weird travel story or whatever but that's where the real gold is and that's where you can create a really bespoke ceremony um because it makes out you you're given the insight to the couple that other celebrants who don't go through that process may, maybe might not have. So with this couple, they were both telling me individually in their questionnaires about the proposal and they both mentioned that the groom was trying to propose after this hike um, to the top of a mountain in Brazil. The groom's Brazilian um, and the bride was going to Brazil for the first time. And so he, the groom wanted to propose at the top of this mountain that he'd climbed as a kid and it was a very beautiful um, spot for him to do that and it meant a lot to him. And so like they climb up this huge mountain and there's all these tourists around and so he says, oh, actually on the other side of the um, lookout, it's more secluded and less people. So they go around there and of course, story checks out, there are less tourists. It's this moment where it feels like it's just the two of them on top of this mountain kneels down and he gets out the, you know, they're rummaging around in the bag that they've packed for this hike. And, and so he's rummaging around, rummaging around. And he can't get past this enormous hand of bananas that they had put in there thinking that would be a good hiking snack. And so the way I had ex- explained this, I'd handed out bananas to all of the guests before the ceremony started and asked them to hide them. So there were bananas in, in handbags and there were bananas in back pockets and bananas everywhere. Um, and so I'm explaining how this proposal happened. And, and then with the bananas out of the bag, he finally manages to find the ring and he pops a question and they're both delighted. And then so I a bit explained this to the guests as part of explaining how the proposal happened. And then I paused before they're about to put the rings on each other's finger. And I said, now everybody, what we know what we do before you're about to receive a ring in this family. And uh, what is that? And then the couple are like, what's going on? And I look around <laughs> and all of a sudden there's like 30 plus bananas that are retrieved from their hiding places and held aloft and waved around. And the couple just absolutely lost it because it was hilarious and I had pre-warned the photographer um that that was going to be happening and so he's captured these amazing moments with all these bananas held in the air um and then the great thing about that was I hadn't really thought it through 
that much. So I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the bananas afterwards. So I just continued on with the ring exchange and there were bananas everywhere. The, the smell of banana when we're doing the signing starts to permeate the room because one of the boys are deciding what to have a little snack. So people are eating the bananas anyway. So the bride texts me the next day and she was like, there are bananas everywhere. I'm so sorry. I don't think I've said banana so many times my whole life. (laughs) I just did. (laughs) Oh, I love that story because I feel like as a bride and groom, you know, you've spent months planning a wedding and a ceremony and there's not too many surprises left really by the time you get to that point. So for you to kind of have that surprise for them in their ceremony, like it's so cool. And, you know, it's an amazing inclusive part of their ceremony for their guests as well yeah it is and it just makes it just that much more memorable moment so that the ceremony doesn't become just one small part of the day that was like the legal box getting ticked like it becomes its own moment as well which is really important to me well, Allegra, I could literally talk for hours, but for now, if couples um, simply have to have you as their celebrant, can you tell me <laughs> how can they inquire with you? So I get inquiries from a variety of different spots, but ideally they will go through my inquiry form on my website, which is marriedbyallegra.com. Um, and, you know, I, I like it if people inquire with me after having followed me on Instagram for a little bit so that they know, you know, what my style is and, and what to expect. And then just get in touch. I think my big pointer to couples is because of the nature of the wedding industry following COVID, you should be getting in touch with your vendors as soon as possible. I know that 2021 for me is ridiculous. I think I've got only a few dates left for the whole year and then 2022 is booking out and so is 2023, which is a very strange concept, but just get in touch with your vendors ASAP. No, I couldn't agree more. That brings an end to this week's episode of Plan Style Do. If you've enjoyed the episode, please jump on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review so other brides and grooms can find us too. I am Jordan Weaver. Thank you for joining me and I'll catch you next time. Bye.